Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. We're listening to a very special edition of the show this week, taped in front of a live audience in Portland, Oregon. Up now, Bill Oakley. He's a veteran comedy writer for television. Maybe you've seen his work on Portlandia or Futurama or The Cleveland Show or Disenchantment. But you've definitely seen his writing on The Simpsons. He wrote for the show between 1992 and 1998, the golden years. And together with his partner, Josh Weinstein, with whom he ran the show for two years, Bill made some stone-cold Simpsons classics. Remember when Malibu Stacy got a new hat? Or the time the Simpsons went to Australia? Or when baby Maggie shot Mr. Burns? All of those episodes were co-written by our next guest. And of course, there is also Steamed Hams. A bit from a 1996 Simpsons episode that lately has been shared and remixed on the internet so many times that it has become perhaps the number one Simpsons meme in the world. If you haven't seen it, here's the premise. Principal Skinner has invited Superintendent Chalmers for dinner. He's making steamed clams. But Skinner ruined it. The clams are burnt. The kitchen is catching fire, so he sneaks out and buys some burgers instead. We kick things off in Portland by playing a bit of the scene. Superintendent, I hope you're ready for mouth-watering hamburgers. I thought we were having steamed clams. No, no, I said steamed hams. That's what I call hamburgers. You call hamburgers steamed hams? Yes, it's a regional dialect. Uh, uh, what region? Uh, upstate New York. Really? Well, I'm from Utica, and I've never heard anyone use the phrase steamed hams. Oh, not in Utica, no, it's an Albany expression. I see. Excuse me for one second. Of course. Oh, well, that was wonderful. Good time was had by all. I'm pooped. Yes, I should be. Good Lord, what is happening in there? Aurora Borealis. Uh, Aurora Borealis. At this time of year, at this time of day, in this part of the country, localized entirely within your kitchen. Yes. May I see it? No. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Bill Oakley. Welcome. Uh, thanks for coming here, and um, thanks for letting us play the scene that I guess will probably be on your tombstone or yes, whatever. Yes, I'm certain that will be on my tombstone. I, I Even still, for two straight years, 20, 30, 40, 50 Twitter mentions a day of that thing I get. Uh, it really has taken on a life of its own. Far beyond what any. Also, nobody paid attention to it for twenty years. Like this just happened. This just happened in the past two years. You know, it became the internet meme of the year according to people who track those sort of things. Last year, um, and it's just like it's just a nonstop phenomenon <laughs> that, that I don't get paid for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's amazing to me that like Simpsons fandom went from knowing about the Simpsons. That's where I was at. That's the 1995 version, being really into The Simpsons. To, I think, like, when DVDs came out, it was 
knowing everything from the commentary tracks and knowing about everything that happened on The Simpsons, like knowing who Malibu Stacy is or whatever. Right. But that was not enough for people. Like, people needed to, like, cross-reference their obscure yeah. Simpsons knowledge into now. extra a, yep. obscure. They, it, 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 you, people remix The Simpsons in their own way. I mean, that's what this seemed... Like, as I said, this was not a well-known segment until two or three years ago when people decided to start remaking their own versions of it on the Internet. And there are thousands, literally thousands of them on YouTube where people have recut this thing and redubbed it in foreign languages. And, and there, it's just... It, it, it's a new... It's a new type of appreciating television, and these are twenty-year-old TV shows. But like, it, I think the most of the a, a lot of really exciting stuff is coming out of this Simpsons remixing, uh, you know, genre these days. I mean, I got the uh, DVDs of maybe let's say let's say season two through ten or something like yeah. that, and I had watched almost all of those when they were on television. And since I got those DVDs, I've watched all of them twice. That's I've, we're talking about three hundred fifty. 400 hours of my life at that point, right? Dedicated to that stuff. And uh, I still don't get the... I, I am completely lost in the new world of Simpsons memes. I can't remember any of the things, much less two of the things at once and how they would theoretically interact with each other. I think that the younger people than us have, have different brains in terms of comedy. Like, I think that the uh, teens and... Uh, maybe like the tweens of today uh, really have like an absurdist sense of humor that, that we just find baffling to some extent. Like, I mean, like you'd see, it doesn't make a lot of sense. (laughs) I will just say, and like the, the actually the most interesting Simpsons meme remix I've seen is the ones involving the dud. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Tell me about the dud. uh, it was from this episode called Summer of Four Foot Two when they all went on vacation to, flan- to uh, Little Quagmire Squarmstead Port, and they played, uh, and Homer and Marge played a board game with Bart and Milhouse, Mystery Date. And, uh, and, and uh, Bart got the dud, which was an actual thing from the Mystery Date game. You open the door, and there's a dud, and it looked kind of like Milhouse. And, and he says, Homer says, ah, you know, you got the dud. Marge says, you got the dud. And then Homer slowly smiles in this really unusual way that you don't see on The Simpsons in any other frame ever that's kind of creepy. And so people have remixed that one, and it, it's, it's eerie. And it was a very strange way, like, like where every other... Let's just say a door opens, and someone is there, and the person looking upon the door smiles in that creepy way. And that's one... That if Just search for, you know, the dud remix or whatever on YouTube, and it will blow your mind. Also, because somebody put that, that song from the Clockwork, from a Clockwork Orange on it, um, the, the, whatever it was, the something cuckoo or whatever, and it's like, it's just, it's creepy, but it's, you can't stop watching it. I watched a remix of Steamed Hams earlier today on the airplane... Um, that was tragic and That's my kind of one. beautiful. Did, you, did I tell you about that? Yeah. The one where Skinner dies in the fire. Yeah. And then Chalmers thinks that, 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 that Chalmers is thinking about him and the very last frame is, is him, Chalmers has gone camping out in the woods and he's looking up and Seymour's visage is in the sky and, and there's like this sad music. And, is that the one? Yeah. And then That's the, the best one. And then the Aurora Borealis yeah. comes up behind... <laughs> His head in the sky. I find that really moving. That one. I don't, in fact, that's probably the you know that's 
I think that's a good way to end it. You know, we'll, just, we'll, <laughs> we'll end this meme before we all get sick of it and, and, be, and it becomes a hated relic of this year. Do you still <laughs> get caught by surprise by Simpsons jokes? I mean, I was just in my hotel room watching uh, Who Shot Mr. Burns, the two-part episode that I was like a monstrous part of my childhood uh, that you worked on extensively. And I've, I mean, I guess I've seen that three or four times, but there's a point of view shot where <laughs> Smithers is stumbling drunk down the street and he sees the old man that's not Abe Simpson Jasper. at all. Jasper. He sees Jasper there, and uh, as and from Smithers' POV, we see Jasper, and he says, "Hey, sidewalks for normal walking, not, not fancy, fancy walking." <laughs> and I was like, I was laughing as loud the fifth time I've seen that joke as I la- have laughed at anything in the last month. Yeah, that happens to me too. I mean, there's there's episodes that I haven't watched in a long time that I see now on FX or something where I'm taken by surprise. It's usually not an episode that I wrote or, or produced because then I would I would know it by heart and be sick of it. Uh, it's it's an episode that I was there for tangentially and saw a little bit of, and then there's something that blows my mind about you know and reminds me of how much I love the show. Before I started working there, I loved the show. We were Josh and I were huge fans, which is why when we took over, it was kind of like the inmates running the asylum, you know. You worked on a few sort of landmark episodes of The Simpsons while you were writing on the show. Two of them is that Who Shot Mr. Burns. Um, One was a season finale and one was a season premiere. And I remember them very viscerally as like perhaps the most significant pop culture event of my childhood. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know why they... Like, there was a time before you even worked on The Simpsons, when The Simpsons was the only thing happening in popular culture, it was like everything in like season one and a half, somewhere around there. Right, right. The, you literally were not allowed to, you know, go out in public unless you had a shirt that said, don't have a cow or cowabunga on it. Right. You know, that kind of thing. But like, oh, how did you end up doing this episode and how did it become like Fox's top promotional priority for the half decade I would dispute that remark I actually the thing is that Fox actually didn't pay that much attention they, it, for that they did but in general like you have to remember this the Simpsons was not that successful ratings wise in those days we were always number 58 or number 64 we were regularly crushed by Mad About You which was on at that same time and so like now, hold like, on and, Mad About You is pretty good <laughs> It's a fun show. I got to concede that. I've had that, Paul Reiser on the show they, before. He's a funny man. We were like every kid in America was watching it, but Mad not that you? many people yeah, over eighteen were watching it. And like we had friends who worked at Seinfeld. Like at Seinfeld, when they mentioned, so they mentioned like Drake's cakes or whatever, they'd get a truckload of free Drake's cakes and crap like that. Never happened once when we were the Simpsons. We got some free Stridex pads one time. <laughs> that, like, I don't think any grown-ups, to be honest, very few grown-ups were watching the show in its original broadcast time. It was mostly the kids. And, and now, fortunately, they're all old like us. And they're, they're, they're reminiscing about the past. But in any case, why did we do that? Because Matt walked into our office one day and was like, why don't we do some sort of stunt show like, you know, Who Shot Mr. Burns? And Josh and I like, good idea. And so we wrote it up. That's pretty much the story. It must have taken a certain kind of attention to write a Simpsons murder mystery because 
you have to do all of the work of writing a murder mystery plus all of the work of servicing 40 different characters plus all the work of having a thousand jokes in it. It was tricky, especially in the second one, because it, it, there was a, lit, a little bit more leisure time in part one, because in part two, you had to solve, you had to eliminate the suspects one by one, and therefore, there's, there actually aren't as many jokes as I would like in that episode, because we just keep cutting things out to, you know, to tell a story. Um, and so it was like, it, it wasn't as hard as you're making it sound. The hardest part was actually deciding who did it, which is because Josh and I wanted it to be Barney. We wanted it to be Barney Gumble because we were like, everybody was like, Barney's getting old. His drunk jokes are not as funny as they once were, which is why he, he has, I guess he's recovering alcoholic now. But at the time we were like, let's get rid of Barney and ship him off to jail for three or four seasons. And then he can come back and be an ex-con. And, and, Brooks, because he is genius, was like, it should be someone in the family. And we were like, no, 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 that's terrible. It should be Barney. But then he was like, it should be Maggie. And we were like, no, that's dumb. It's going to be an accident. The baby, people are going to be mad. But then David Merkin was doing the Showtime says, what if it wasn't an accident? And that was what I think convinced us that what Maggie did on a purpose, we were like, there you go. That's the idea. Our our Barney idea sucks. We're going to write it your way and and take credit for it for the next 20 years. (laughs) I recently watched an episode called Homer's Phobia that guest starred John Waters. Yeah. And it's a a really delightful episode that that came to television before there was much homosexuality on TV at all. Um, You know, there had been like, you know, two dudes on 30-something who, you know, shared a bed and didn't do any kissing. And uh, that was like the worst thing that had ever happened in the history of television. They lost a thousand sponsors. It was yeah, like a really, that. really big deal. Um, why did you want to uh, air a show about Homer meeting a gay guy and learning not to be a homophobe? The story of this episode is really complicated, and it was a combination of two episodes. That one was was a story made up by George Meyer which was essentially the spine of the story, which was Homer thinking that Bart might be gay. And an uh, episode that Josh and I had been trying to write but could never get off the ground called, like, Lisa and Camp. And it was all about campy stuff, and she started to love Plan 9 from Outer Space and John Waters movies and things like that. And we're like, oh, my God. When we heard them, when George pitched his, we were like, we could combine that, and we could get John Waters. And it seemed like it, it was a natural outgrowth of those two ideas. Um, at the time, like, I don't think we thought we were doing anything... I don't think we were aware of the show being that progressive at the time. I think we just thought we were doing a funny show until we got the first batch of censor notes, which were insane. Like the censor hated that episode so much. Like normally we would get up. They would, this is back in the era of faxes. They'd fax us the censor notes and it would always be two or three sentences. that are like, please use discretion when showing the crack of Homer on page 39, right? <laughs> Please substitute for the word scumbag on page 38. And that would be it, right? And, and we would always, our general policy was to just ignore the censor notes because often we would, by the time it takes almost a year to make an episode, it would have been rewritten so many times that those scenes might not be there anymore. In this case, instead of the two sentences, we got three solid single space pages of notes from the censor, like citing every single mention of anything having to do with homosexuality, with gay, with et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then it, it was astonishing. And at the end it said, you know, the topic and substance of this episode are not suitable for broadcast. And we were like, oh, crap, what do we do? Well, let's just do what we normally do and ignore these notes. So, so we went... 
We, <laughs> thank you. We animated it. Ten months later, it comes back from Korea, animated. We're mostly done with it, and the censor and the president of Fox have both been fired and replaced. <laughs> and we submit the final broadcast, and the censor notes come back and just say, acceptable for broadcast. <laughs> I mean, I've met John Waters a few times in doing the show, and, it, it, you know, I, I have this buddy whose mom wouldn't let him watch Pee-wee's Playhouse, uh, not because of, you know, people remember Paul Rubens getting arrested and stuff, but that was after yeah, the, was show after was the show was done. Um, she just wouldn't let him watch it because it was too weird. And that was like her role. She was just like, no, too weird. And I would think that would be the censors. Above and beyond the homosexuality, just... Uh, John Waters being on primetime television on Fox in 1995 or whatever it was. It, it was a symptom of what I said, which was that nobody was paying attention to what we were doing. And they didn't. The network had no ability to tell us what to do. Uh, Brooks was off filming his movies, um, you know, and, and we were just like, we're going to do whatever we want. And it, it worked out pretty well. We'll finish my conversation with Bill Oakley. Stay with us. Did you know Bill also reviews fast food on Instagram? He has become something of a cult hero. He'll tell me all about it after the break. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Smartwater. Creativity is taking something boring and making it exciting. And that's exactly what Smartwater did. 20 years ago, they took a look at water and decided it was time to change things up. By adding electrolytes for taste and using vapor distillation for purity, smart water refreshed the way we look at water. Smart water. That's pretty smart. In the Trump era, the news moves faster than ever, and the NPR Politics Podcast is here to keep you informed. Every time there's a major political story, we get our best correspondents together to sort through the noise. The NPR Politics Podcast, what you need to know right when it happens. So you want to understand what's going on in the world. But trying to keep up with the news can be such a headache. With clickbait headlines, TV news acting like there's always two equal sides to every story. And never enough talk about the various McDonald Playland characters. Okay, in my defense, though, when I brought that up, we learned a lot. That's true. <laughs> I'm Brent Black. I'm Courtney Enlow. And I'm Travis McElroy. With Trends Like These. Real-life friends talking internet trends. We debunk misleading headlines from the top trending news. We always throw in at least one positive story. But we call out bullshit when we see it. Join us each week on MaximumFun.org. Because with trends like these... Who needs any memes? Ah? Uh? Uh? <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> it's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're listening to a special episode of Bullseye recorded live at the Listen Up Festival in Portland, Oregon. My guest is Bill Oakley. He's a legendary TV writer for The Simpsons, Futurama, Disenchantment, Portlandia, and more. Uh, you have recently become something of an Instagram food celebrity. Thank um, you. Uh, <laughs> I, if, I, if I am to believe what I read, you're a hashtag influencer. I hope so. <laughs> um, I want to play one of the many fast food reviews that you have posted on your Instagram. This is you reviewing Taco Bell. Hey, I'm here at Taco Bell to try the new cheesy double-decker spicy crunchy chicken five-layer Fritos bacon chipotle cheddar beefy nacho Doritos Fiesta Cool Ranch steak ghost pepper chalupa gordita crunch wrap Fiesta Supreme. It's okay. 
Bill, you have a thriving career as a television writer. Um, so why have you embarked upon a second career as a new media celebrity? Uh, this is really my hobby. I do, yes. This is to say I don't, I'm not, uh, I am employed. <laughs> I've been working on Disenchantment with a lot of the old Simpsons Futurama guys for the past three years. Uh, Disenchantment, which is Matt Groening's new show on Netflix. But this is my hobby. This is my hobby. Um, I, I really like being, well, first of all, I have a lot of opinions about fast food that my wife and kids were getting tired of hearing. So I, I've started inflicting them upon the public. Um, I also, I got to say, I love being able to do a project that doesn't take a year to get off the ground, have to go through 90 lawyers and get 60 layers of notes from executives. It's very exciting for me to be able to do something that, and then broadcast it. You know, and it, and, and the, you know, it gets more views than some TV shows, although those would be bad, unpopular TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the most surprising to you food product that you have tasted? I had, when I give the thing is bad reviews are, are diff, bad reviews are funnier but they often are incendiary. Uh, I really didn't like Carl's Jr.'s mini Fruit Loop donuts this year, and it got people were like, "You unfollowed." <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> and, and, and so like that, uh, can I curse on this program? No, but you did. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay, so I didn't like that. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, we've all had our more passionate moments when mini Fruit Loop donuts come up. Yeah, uh, they were look, they were donuts that looked just like giant Fruit Loops that tasted just like giant Fruit Loops. I found them unbelievably repulsive. But apparently, people like some people like them, so that's a controversial thing. I also haven't liked many things at Burger King this year. I didn't like their Nightmare King burger, which was got a lot of hype and was like this burger that's supposed to give you nightmares on a green bun, and it was repulsive. You're a home chef. I know that you have yes. some... Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. <laughs> you, have some, you have some principles that you've developed for the home cooking of hamburgers and cheeseburgers. I wonder if you could share them with our audience in a little kind of how-to segment. Absolutely. And I didn't invent this. I'll just go through it quickly. The kind of burger that has really taken over in the past 10 years is what I call the Shake Shack style burger, which is basically smashed down. Uh, that's why they have smash burger. They're the same thing where you get like kind of a crust on it. So you use a cast iron pan, 80% uh, ground beef, and you, and you get a kind of a crust on both sides. And then, you know, you and get when a, you say 80% ground beef, you're talking about no less fat than 20%. Yeah, actually, and in some chefs, uh, not, I'm not a chef, but some chefs recommend 70% actually because the fat is – is crucial to making it taste the way that you want it to taste. And like, good. Uh, I, totally. It's like, I, I, whenever I've had a lean burger, it's fine, but you can't just, you can't get that, whatever it is, the umami taste. So you use that, use a bun. You always got to toast the bun, which is a little bit of a nuisance. Um, and then, you know, lettuce, tomato, that kind of thing. And you can approximate that at home. Um, I always recommend SeriousEats.com, which happens to have a ton of recipes for replicating Big Macs, White Castle burgers, things like that, which and they're all stellar. Well, Bill Oakley, I'm so grateful to you for taking all this time to come be on Bullseye. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Oakley. Thank you. <laughs> Bill Oakley is currently a writer on Disenchantment, which was created by Matt Groening. Uh, he's uh, executive producer of that program as well. You can find Bill on Instagram, at that Bill Oakley, all one word. Bill Oakley, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.
That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is recorded at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, which is where I am right now. But the show that you just heard was recorded in Portland, Oregon, and I was using a desk made entirely out of hockey sticks. That is not in our rider. That's just an extra service that the festival provided for us. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. The two of them ran the show in Portland and did a great job. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellow is Shana Deloria. Special thanks to everyone at the Listen Up Fest in Portland. Shauna Noah, Isaac Watson, Travis Lobby, many others. They all did a wonderful job, and we were very grateful to be invited. Our interstitial music is by DJW, the great Dan Wally. Thank you for sharing it with us, Dan. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation. It's by the band Go Team. They and their label, Memphis Industries, provided it to us. Thanks to them, of course. And before you go, I have been making this show for over 15 years now. That means hundreds and hundreds of interviews, literally hundreds and hundreds. Pretty much every one of those episodes is archived on our website at MaximumFun.org. You can also find all of our most recent interviews on our YouTube channel. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne on YouTube. Uh, You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Bullseye as well. And I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. 